الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وهو يتولى الصالحين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين نبينا محمد عليه أفضل الصلاة وأزكى التسليم اللهم صل وسلم مبارك على محمد في الأولين وصلي وسلم مبارك على محمد في الآخرين وصلي وسلم مبارك على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وصلي وسلم مبارك على المصطفى في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين اللهم أمين يا رب العالمين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما ورزقنا مع العلم العمل ورزقنا مع العمل الإخلاص يا ذا الجلال والإكرام Allahumma after praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the exalted, the one deserving of praise alone, the one who created the entirety of humanity, rather the creation for one sole purpose, and that is to learn about him and worship him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And after sending the peace and blessings and salutations upon the one who was sent to us to teach us how it is that we are supposed to tread this journey to Allah who has taught us everything from the mannerisms we're supposed to carry, the etiquette we're supposed to embody, how we're supposed to worship Allah how we apply His legislation and how we become the best of people internally and externally. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam We are going to start ta'ala, A very necessary topic A very necessary series And for those who were with us a couple of months ago When we shed some light After the bounty and favor of Allah Azza wa Jalla On the topic of Al-Husnudhanabillah Having good assumptions of Allah Azza wa Jalla And that turned into in reality For those who are here they recall we spoke about the importance of getting to know Allah Azza wa And how all the different stories and the ahadith and the, the, the scenarios extracted from the seerah of the Prophet that show us the reality of having good thoughts of Allah, being optimistic in your life and how that goes hand in hand with how you think of Allah Azza wa Jalla. We said that there's no way to attain this. Rather, we don't want to just relay stories and have story time. We are trying to give practical ways of implementing these great these great characteristics that we're supposed to carry as humans as servants of Allah Azza wa Jalla especially in this day and age in this day and age where the fitr are are immense and I know everyone who speaks always addresses the fitr addresses the trials and the tests that we're going through whether it's the day and age that we live in whether it's the western societies that we see whether it's how Islam and its principles and its traditions are becoming scarce and becoming rare amongst the people, even amongst the Muslims, these are all fitan. But in reality, we've become numb to these fitan. In all reality, we've become numb to it. We've almost convinced ourselves to just adjust to the fitan. Really, in all reality, we know the fitan, we can name them, we can describe them, we can elaborate on them, but how we are internally, how our hearts are, and how we've been living our lives shows that we have became very numb to these fitan. The only way to tackle this wound, ya ikhwah, is by getting to know Allah This is the first thing anyone needs to start with. Many people, alhamdulillah, when Allah, when Allah guides them, many of us can probably relate to this. When you started, mashallah, you know, praying your prayers again, finding the masajid, coming close with Muslim companions, brothers and sisters who are starting to practice, within a couple of weeks or months, the first question that arises for most of us or has arose previously for a lot of us is, what's the first step? What's the first step? I'm trying to learn. You have this zeal. You have this motivation, this passion. You want to become more invested in this religion. And without even anyone telling you, your natural inclination is telling you that you need to learn more. Without even someone telling you you need to sit down, grab a pen and paper, and start taking notes and learning, you just out of your passion and acceptance of this religion and seeing how it's changed your life, your first instinct was to do what? Was to learn. So your question became, what's the first thing I learned? Should I learn Quran? I want to learn tafsir. 
right? The Arabic language is great. The seal of the Prophet ﷺ. Many different answers, many different avenues. I say cert with, with so much certainty and yaqeen. No doubt in my mind that this is the first thing that anyone needs to start learning. The first thing that anyone needs to start learning is ma'rifatullah, is a tafaqquh billahi subhanahu wa ta'ala bi af'alihi al-wahdaniyya wa asma'ihi wa sifatihi. This is the first thing that anyone needs to learn. And I say this not opinionated. I can back it with facts. Rather, I say this is the da'wah of the Prophet alayhi salatu The da'wah of the Prophet alayhi salatu wassalam who, may, who was the one that taught the Prophet Who taught the Prophet? We all had fathers who taught us, teachers who nurtured us, correct? Alhamdulillah, we were blessed with the people that we had in our lives to, to uplift us, to kind of guide us in the path that we see ourselves today. May Allah bless all of our mentors, our parents, our teachers, who have been a part, after Allah Azza wa a part of this journey of ours today. That after Allah Azza wa if it wasn't for Allah Azza wa and them, we probably would not be here. We'd probably be on a whole different path. But we all had fathers, mashayikh, teachers, imams, whatever it is that were our mentors. Who was the mentor of the Prophet? Jibreel was his mentor. Who agrees with it? It's Jibreel. Raise your hand. Don't be shy. It's a part of learning. Because if you're wrong, you need to be able to take it. You agree as well? It's good to see you again, Akhi. May Allah bless you. Accept your journey, Allah. Make it heavy on your scales. I mean, Allah. Alamin. Taib, what's the other answer? We said we have one answer is Jibreel. What do you say, Mustafa? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through Jibreel. Through Jibreel. Who agrees with Mustafa now? Raise your hand. If you want to change your hand, you change your, uh, your answer, no problem. The one who taught the Prophet was Allah. Us, we had fathers, we had mothers who taught us what was taught to the Prophet. Right? Allah taught the Prophet. This da'wah of Islam that spread amongst 23 years, Allah was his teacher. Now, this makes sense because we know the Prophet to be what? The greatest man walk, rather, the greatest creation, yes or no? The most valuable thing that Allah took the time to create, we believe, is Muhammad. We believe that the doors of Jannah aren't open until he is at those doors, alayhi salatu yes or no? So, understanding that the one who took the time to teach him was Allah himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one and only, the divine one, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It makes sense that this is the result. If that is your teacher, you're going to be miles ahead of any, the, the entirety of the creation. You're on the same page. So when we look at the method that Allah Azza took, to teach the Prophet And in all reality, when Allah is teaching the Prophet, who else is he teaching? And when Allah took the time within those 23 years to teach the Prophet X, Y, Z, this is halal, this is haram, pray like this, pray this amount of times a day, fast this month. When Allah was teaching Muhammad in all reality, who else was he teaching? The rest of humanity, the rest of the ummah, the rest of mankind. Right? So, back to what I said. That I firmly believe that the first step that anyone should take is learning about Allah Azza wa In depth, learning about His names, learning about His attributes, learning about His divine capabilities, learning about what makes Him deserving to be worshipped. Everyone here agrees that He is the one deserving to be worshipped. But going into detail in every single quality and characteristic, and name and attribute that Allah Azza has attributed to Himself, Subhanahu wa Taala, it not just makes you more informed and acquainted with Allah Azza but you are now a step closer to a specific relationship with Him. I want you guys to keep this in mind when we go throughout the rest of the lecture. This is going to be an introductory lecture, as we said. This is going to be a monthly series, Inshallah Taala. The first Saturday of each, of each month of the Saturday Halaqat, we'll be going through this, what, what I call, and what our teachers have mentioned, As-Sayru Allah, the journey to Allah. Because this journey ends where? This journey that you're in, where does it end? Does it end in the grave? Rather, the grave is the beginning. Where does it end? Jannah min nakh. Allah Azza wa Jalla yuqin al-Jannah. Allah grants us Jannah, Ya Rabbil So this is the journey to Allah. And by Wallahi al 
by Allah Azza wa Jalla, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who we are taking the time to learn about specifically today. And learn about his lofty names and attributes. Learn about the role that he plays in our lives, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Learn about the necessity, the necessity of him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in our lives. Learn about how our lives will change and make a whole 180 when you start to learn specifically in an academic manner and a spiritual manner. The reality of who Allah Azza wa Jalla is. Wallahi al-Azim. Wallahi al-Azim. That this changes your life completely. And I've always told the brothers, those especially who speak to me, that this specific example, that you walk the same life, you're walking the same earth as your peers at school, as your peers at work, as rather even some of your family members. But when you get to know Allah and you understand Him, and you've allowed that, allowed that knowledge to resonate in your heart, and now that knowledge has become how you move, Wallahi al-Azim, you have a different pair of glasses on when you look at that life. You have a different pair of glasses on. And this is how Allah Azza wa Jalla prescribed to the Prophet وسلم, what to begin with. The Quran came down bit by bit, yes? We're going to, so that everyone's on, inshallah ta'ala, let's do this. Because wallah, this is a very important topic. If the brothers find necessity to be on the wall, and only you and Allah Azza know if it's a necessity, then remain. If you don't need to be on the wall, for your own sake, so that you are a lot more able to focus and not doze off, get off the wall. Inshallah ta'ala. Rather, I should be with you guys down there in all reality. I'm, today all we're going to do is go through a couple of points, introductory points, to get us more acquainted with this topic of Allah's names and attributes. The first point that I'm going to mention is the method of Allah's revelation to Muhammad with the Quran. Now, we all know that there's a Meccan period and there's a Medani period, yes or no? When it comes to the revelation of the Qur'an, we all agree the Qur'an came down bits and pieces. Verses at a time, chapters at a time, yes or no? Any discrepancy? طيب. We all believe this. And we believe that there's a Meccan period and a Medani period when it comes to the timings of these verses and chapters being revealed, yes or no? Anyone here not aware of what a Meccan and Medani period is? It is not a wrong answer. Rather, you would be doing a lot of us a favor. If you raise your hand and say, I don't know what's Meccan period and Medani period. Anyone here does not know what's Meccan Medani? No problem. Meccan and Medani period. When we say Meccan and Medani period, we're referencing specific timestamps where specific verses were revealed. The scholars of Tafsir and the scholars of the Quran, you with me? Because you're sitting on a chair, you're comfortable. You with me? Pay attention. The scholars of Tafsir have broke down these verses into Meccan verses or Medani verses. Ayat Makkiyah and Ayat Madaniyah. Okay? A Meccan verse is a verse that was revealed in the initial stages of the Prophet's prophethood, prior to him migrating to Medina. Because we know the Prophet originally was in Quraysh when he received prophethood, when Angel Jibreel came to him and said, Iqra ya Muhammad, right? Yes or no? You find something funny? Is there something funny? Yes or no? Tayyib. So the verses that came down prior to the Prophet's command to make hijrah, these are called Meccan verses. And there's a specific theme and tone to these verses that came down prior to his hijrah. Any verse that came down after the Prophet's journey to Medina, from that moment all the way to his death, these are known to be Medani verses. And these verses also have a specific tone, a theme, that if you study the science of tafsir or the science of the Quran, just by hearing what the verse is saying and the words that are utilized and the endings of certain verses, you'll be able to tell, oh, this is definitely a Meccan verse or this is a Medani verse. Understand? Make sense? When you look at the verses that came down in the early stages of Islam, Keep in mind, early stages of Islam, we're, we're not just dealing with people who fornicated. We're not just dealing with people who were thieves. We're not just dealing with people who were just immoral in their character. These are people who did not acknowledge the oneness of Allah. 
Grave sin, agreed? So this is the worst of, of diseases to have, a shirk. Worshipping other than Allah, thinking that other than Allah has capabilities that only belongs to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is worse than any act of immorality you can name today. So of course Allah is the teacher. He's the one that's sending down the verses to Muhammad. He's not speaking on his own. The unlettered prophet. So he can't come up with anything on his own. He can't even bring forth his own criteria or his own curriculum. He has to wait for revelation. He doesn't even have the tools والسلام, to go ahead and write this or command this or prohibit this. So we're going through the methodology of Allah What did Allah decide to reveal upon the Prophet and these people who are ignorant to the concept of La ilaha illallah? At least in Medina, there was a good chunk of Muslims. The people of Medina, the Ansar, they accepted the Muslims, the Muhajirin, those who migrated, and they know Islam, generally speaking. So at least teaching them is a lot easier. But you're dealing with people who don't even acknowledge the oneness of Allah. So now, Allah Azza being Al-Hakim, He knows the kind of people that the Prophet is going to deal with. He knows the kind of people that the Prophet is going to be responsible and calling to. Because from his responsibilities early on in his prophethood was to go ahead and call. It wasn't that you're just a prophet, yeah, Muhammad. You're a prophet and a messenger. Ya ayyuhal muddathir, qum fa'andir. Oh, Muhammad والسلام, stand up and begin calling the people and glorify your Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And he's going to call the people with what? Only the information that Allah gives him. Only the information that Allah gives him. So what is the theme? What is the common denominator of all these verses that came down in this early stage of ignorance? A, 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 a period of time of ignorance where the concept of la ilaha illallah that we came at the womb knowing, صح? We came out the womb knowing La ilaha illallah. That concept was unheard of. And rather they were arrogantly pushing it away and found any excuse not to abide by it. So what was Allah's choice of verses? Simply verses that told you who He was. Simply verses that showed you what He was capable of doing and what your gods are not capable of doing. Verses that showed you how perfect He is. Verses that really, if you had a sincere heart, when coming across these verses, there was no choice other than to resort to Allah Azza wa Jalla. That whenever you were worshipping before Him, if you had a sincere heart and you came across these verses, that you would absolutely look at yourself in a pitiful manner and be like, how dare I? How could I have a, the audacity to be worshipping X, Y, and Z, Allah, Manat, Wal Uzza, and the likes? And this is Allah Azza wa Jalla. He carries X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3. And my gods don't even carry a fraction of it. This, in short, this was the theme of these verses that were revealed in the Meccan period. There was very little halal and haram coming down. The percentage of halal and haram coming down in the early stages of Islam prior to the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ was perhaps 3 to 6%. Everything was solely who is Allah, what are His names, what are his attributes and the description of the hereafter that everyone is working towards? And you can test me on this. Go to any Quran, any source online that shows you these are Meccan, these are Madani. And look at the theme. Every verse that is Meccan is teaching you about Allah or the hereafter. Simple as that. Or is Allah Azza wa Jalla giving rhetoric towards the different deities that the people were ascribing to? This is all it was. Right? So that's the first thing we need to acknowledge. The first introductory point is, this is the first step that anyone should be taking when trying to get closer to Allah. Before saying, I want to be a student of knowledge. Before saying, I want to go overseas and travel. Before, before even saying, I want to memorize Quran. Seriously. Because the dilemma today is that we memorize Quran, we don't know what's going on in the Quran. This is the dilemma. I'd rather understand Quran and know the, the meaning of the Quran and the value it carries and not have it memorized. Then have it memorized, read it so well, and I don't know a lick of what I'm saying. Rather, that's going to eventually be a proof against you. Be asked the years you took to memorize this and you didn't even have the urge to learn about what it means. You understand what I'm saying? So even before taking this up to memorize the Quran, this is the first thing anyone should be doing. Upon my, not my fatwa, upon my my, يعني, my advice, to be fair. Why? The first thing I used was the way that Allah Azza wa Jalla taught the Prophet ﷺ. And the ayat that came down. 
all of them that came down in that early stage of early stage of time were ayat teaching about who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's number one. The second thing that adds on to this, okay, is the concept of al ubudiyah Anyone heard of the term ubudiyah Just to, just so I can uh, state this early on rather than later. This is not what, what we're going to be doing on a monthly basis. This is not going to be the typical curriculum or the typical structure of the Saturday halakat. It will be a mix of the spiritual necessity that we need and the academic approach into going about this topic, okay? Versus just a straight lecture-based thing or a story or a specific hadith that we're going over. So it's going to be a mixture of both. Hence, we only made it easy on everyone. We said we're going to do it once a month, okay? Anyone now back to what I said, the second point, the second introductory point is that it is an essential part of one's ubudiyya. Who knows what's ubudiyya? Who knows what's ubudiyya? Okay, let's do this. Raise your hand if you don't know what's ubudiyya. It's okay. Jameel. Tayyib. Al-ubudiyya. Can anyone try to listen to this word, ubudiyya? What is a word that sounds similar to it or a word that can be extracted from ubudiyya? Ibad. Very good. Ibad. Good. What's ibad mean? Huh? That's ibadah. You're one letter off. That's ibadah. You said ibad. What's ibad? Huh? What's ibad? Ain ba alif dan. What's ibad? Huh? The worshiper. Ibad. Yeah, the worshiper. Uh, it's ibad is plural for abd. Abd means slave, servant. Okay? Ibad means servants. Slaves, linguistically. When we're talking about Islam, we're talking about slaves of Allah, worshippers of Allah, submitters to Allah Azza wa Jalla. This is ibad. So this is what we took from ubudiyah. Ubudiyah is a term that labels a whole lifestyle. The lifestyle of servitude. You guys have heard me say this word before. Servitude. Servitude is the lifestyle of being a servant. Servant is not just a task. It's not just something that's on your platter. It's not just, oh, I got to carry out these prayers today. Oh, I got to go ahead and catch asr. I got to get maghrib out the way. It's not a task. Ubudiyah is a lifestyle. Ubudiyah is what the Prophet ﷺ embodied. Ubudiyah is what Abu Bakr embodied. Ubudiyah is what Umar embodied. They weren't just servants. They weren't just checking off tasks on a checklist. They lived a lifestyle of being a servant, abid, ubudiyah. Okay? So the second introductory point was what? That this knowledge of Allah's names and attributes is a pillar to one's validity of his ubudiyah or her ubudiyah. So now this should arise everyone's attention. I'm told that I need to be living this lifestyle of being abd. Is everyone following? Okay. I'm told that ubudiyah is the lifestyle I'm, I'm prescribed to follow. I'm prescribed to live upon. Okay? And now I'm being told that for my ubudiyah to even be valid and considered in the first place, a pillar of it is getting to know Allah. Tayyib, what's your dalil, ya Muhammad? Because we're people of dalil, right? We take from the Quran and Sunnah and the Sahaba. Yes? We got to make sure that what I'm taking has proof. Is that not the case? Tayyib. What's the proof, ya Muhammad? You said my, me being a servant is, is deficient. Unless it's accompanied with proper knowledge of Allah's names and attributes. What's your proof? We say that ubudiyah is broken down into two main pillars. These two main pillars are what a servant needs to acknowledge in order to be on the path of being of approaching this lifestyle of ubudiyah. Everyone with me? Anyone confused? I'm gonna keep on asking you guys to make sure you guys are with me. Okay? So ubudiyah, lifestyle that I need to live, mandatory. Ubudiyah to be valid needs two pillars. What are these two pillars? The first pillar is ta'zimullah. The first pillar of ubudiyah, of this lifestyle of being a servant, is ta'zimullah. It's proper glorification of Allah Azza wa Proper glorification of Allah Azza wa And how can you glorify Allah properly? It's not just any glorification. It's not just sitting there saying, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah. No, proper glorification. That the tongue follows what's been engrounded in the heart. Not just something that is merely done with your tongue. It's something that originated in your heart and your limbs and your tongue follow. Understand? This is proper glorification. This is the glorification of the Anbiya, 
the glorification of the Mursaleen, the glorification of the people that follow them that we praise till today. Okay? Is ta'zimullah azzawajal. And how can you do ta'zim of Allah without knowing Him? If you don't know why He's deserving of glorification, if you can't sit there and tell me a hundred plus reasons and why Allah deserves to be glorified and you're willingly glorifying Him and then rather past that, you find pleasure. You find pleasure. You're pleased when you glorify Allah. That's a different level, right? There's, a, there, there's you glorifying Allah because you know you have to. Or something you grew up doing. You do salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Allahumma anta salamu min kasam, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. You grew up doing this. It's one thing to do it, it's one thing to crave it. It's one thing to crave it. It's one thing to be pleased. You're proud of yourself when you do it. It's one thing that you yearn to do, to praise Allah Azza wa This is proper glorification. You can't get there until you get to know Allah's names and attributes. Everyone agree? Everyone see that tie? You can't get there until you know Allah's names and attributes. Allah Azza wa Jalla says what in the Quran when he's talking to the Prophet Ali Salatu Salam. Fa'lam Annahu la ilaha illallah wa staghfil li dhanbika wa lil mu'minina wa lil mu'minat. Allah says, Ya Muhammad, learn, get to know the oneness of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Then seek forgiveness and repent to Allah Azza wa Jalla. Then seek forgiveness. So what took precedence here in this command? Learn about Allah. Then after you learn about Allah, what is the next thing? Seek forgiveness. Question. Out of all ibadat, what's the greatest ibadah that we know? What's the greatest ibadah that we know? Salah, right? We agree? Salah. Salatul khams. The only ruqn of Islam, the only ibadah that the ulama to this day have disputed that if someone leaves it off, is their Islam even valid in the first place? Anything else is considered a major sin. This is the greatest ibadah. Why did Allah, after just now just getting a glimpse of how important it is for you to just live the bare minimum lifestyle of a servant, is getting to know Allah. Allah commanded the greatest man وسلم, to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next act of worship that he commands them is the tawbah. Why not salah? This is a madani surah. This is a madani surah. Why not salah? Hameen. So Tawbah can be part of Salah. So wouldn't that make Salah being more comprehensive? Based on your breakdown, then Salah would be the more befitting choice. So you're actually arguing me. And you're arguing the Quran. Huh? Why did Allah choose Tawbah, not Salah? Huh? The, you're, I, I see what you're saying. If you just brush it up a little bit and hit, hit the target straight, it would be a very comprehensive reason. Tayyib. Why did Allah command the Prophet ﷺ with the greatest thing on the face of this earth? Greater than Salah, greater than the Kaaba, greater than Masjid al-Nabawi, greater than Baytul Maqdis, greater than all of this is the knowledge of Allah That is the greatest thing and the most sacred thing to touch this land, to touch this earth, to touch this dunya. This tainted dunya with ma'asi and dhunub and oppression and transgression, the purest thing to touch, rather the definition of purity itself is the knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Why did Allah command the Prophet to learn about him and then go right to forgiveness? Why not salah? Because the, the answer is this. When you take part in the first portion of that command is getting to know Allah Azza wa Jalla. If you get to know him properly, you will know that the default position that you're in is that you're coming short. That's why tawbah is the next thing you do. That's why it's not salah, that's why it's not siyam, that's why it's not sakah. You learn about Allah properly, you glorify Him properly. The first conclusion you're going to come to is what? I'm coming short. Nothing I can do will make up to pay back what He subhanahu wa ta'ala carries, what He subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me. You guys understand? This is, this is how you learn about Allah. And that is the second pillar of ubudiyah. We said the first pillar of ubudiyah is what? Ta'zimullah, properly glorifying Allah Azza wa Jalla. The second part is found in the ayah that I mentioned. And that is that iftiqaru ilayhi subhanah. That is breaking yourself down and acknowledging the dire need you have in Allah Azza wa Jalla. 
That is the second part of ubudiyah. When the servant combines between proper glorification of Allah and understanding that he or she is nothing, is nothing without Allah's aid, now you have began the path of ubudiyah. Now you begin to embody this lifestyle of ubudiyah. You understand? And what is the common denominator between these two pillars? You can't get to one or the other except that you learn about Allah. The default position of humans is prideful, arrogance, right? They want a pat on the back. They want to be rewarded for what they do. They enjoy being ahead of people. That's the default position. Rather, people didn't know humbleness until religion came their way. Humbleness became a thing when people learned about Allah from the beginning of humanity. The default position of humans is that they always want to be up top. Their pride over, always overtakes. What teaches you otherwise is Islam. What teaches you otherwise is Islam. And you will never be able to put that pride aside. Put your ego aside. And rather understand you are nothing. You can't do anything in your life. I'm talking about your basic necessities. I'm talking about just simply opening your eyes in the morning. Being able to get up, prop yourself up in a 90 degree angle. Walk, go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet and relieve yourself. Use the water. Get up and pray. Go and make food. Feed yourself, digest your food so that no complications go on in your body. Be able to release that smoothly. Go on about your day. All, every little thing that we don't even acknowledge anymore, every little thing that we overlook, the servant who knows Allah properly will come to a conclusion. And once they come through every stage that I have just mentioned right now, and even more specific and detailed, they will fail to do anything other than to remember Allah Azza's role in that. Because you're nothing without Allah. That's what La Hawla wa la quwwata illa illa ish billah. That's what it means. There's no I have no power and no capability except through Allah Azza. And that is a general statement. You say that generally, not at a specific time. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is is your default state. So al ubudiyya that we just mentioned right now. That is the lifestyle that everyone should be embodying. It requires you glorifying Allah properly and understanding your entire need of Allah And we just said that you can't do that until you get to know Allah This is the second reason why. The second introductory point and why learning about Allah's names is the first thing anyone needs to do. Ya ikhwah, I can, we can relate with one another better here. The kind of diseases and illnesses that we picked up growing up in such land growing up in such environment are beyond just the haram being accessible, right? Are just beyond being the haram accessible or talking to the opposite gender. It's beyond that. The internal residue that is left behind from just being brought up in this society is wallahi al-azim one, you won't be able to realize until you sit and self-reflect often. You won't be able to realize until you sit and self-reflect often. And you see people who are miles ahead of you and you see how pure they are and how attached they are to the religion and how much more they're able to go ahead and, t and, and take out and complete. And you're just like, why am I still stagnant? Why haven't I been able to go ahead and, and, and progress and move forward and learn about Allah and see a difference in my ibadah and feel something different in my iman? Why haven't I been able to feel that? That residue is still there. That residue is still there. This country teaches you to be independent. This country teaches you to, to always accept a pat on the back, to always accept acknowledgement. This country teaches you so much. These, so, these, many, these many different little yani, uh, slogans and, and ways of life that we learned just from as early as elementary school up until now today that you see in every TV show, that you see in every social media post, that you see every, every, in everything that in, the entertainment industry is doing. Wallahi, this is what they're teaching us. <laughs> This is what they teach you. And that stuff sticks, especially when that's how you live. And that's the kind of life that you've been living for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's there. The only way to untangle it is getting to know Allah That's how you truly find humbleness. Humbleness isn't, coming, isn't someone coming to praise you. Right? To say, Akhi, you're X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3. And you just give those two cents back and like, Akhi, no, bro. I'm not that, Akhi. I'm not that. No, you don't know me. You think this is humbleness? Wallahi, this is not humbleness. Wallah, this is not humbleness. The most arrogant person can do that. The most arrogant, rather, the, the, the more arrogant one is, the more likely they're going to react like that. It's weird. The more likely they're going to react like that. Okay? Humbleness is when you understand how far you are from Allah. 
and not just how far you are from him, but how much you need him. This is ubudiyah. So this is one of the things that you benefit from learning the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jalla. That's second introductory point. Al-ubudiyah. We just broke down ubudiyah, which is the lifestyle that we should be living as Muslims. We broke it down in a couple of minutes. Did that make sense? Do you understand what ubudiyah is? We understood the two pillars that are needed in ubudiyah, and we understood how that tied directly towards learning Allah's names and attributes. We understood everything tied. خلاص. That is the second introductory point. The third introductory point. قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في محكم آياته ولله الأسماء الحسنى فدعوه بها. One. سورة الأعراف. Allah عز وجل says. And to whom Allah belongs the, most, belongs the most lofty names and attributes. So call upon him utilizing them. Surah Al-A'raf. Qala subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fi Surah Al-Isra. Qul idu Allaha. Aw idu al-Rahmana. Ayyam ma tad'u. Falahu al-Asma'u al-Husna. Allah says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Tell your servants. Tell your followers. Tell the believers, Ya Muhammad. Call upon Allah using the name Allah or call upon Allah utilizing the name Ar-Rahman. Whichever name you utilize, to him belongs the most lofty names and attributes. This is a command. The first ayah was a command to call upon Allah Azza wa Jalla using what specifically? Using, utilizing his various names and attributes. This one is a specific command to the Prophet ﷺ, to the rest of the ummah. Call upon Allah Azza wa Jalla because he, to him belongs the most lofty names and attributes. Calling upon Allah. Okay. The third hadith. The third is the hadith that majority of the ulama have claimed to be da'if. Majority of the ulama have claimed to be da'if. There is some sort of discrepancy depending on how you look at the hadith and, and, and allowing it to be at the level of being hasan or sahih and it being accepted in the very rigorous testing of the ulama of hadith. But the ulama have came to a consensus that the meaning is correct that we can use this hadith, even though it's da'if, what we can't do is attribute it to the Prophet But we can say is that the meaning is correct, and that there is some sort of benefit behind this hadith. What is this hadith? قَالَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ إِنَّ لِلَّهِ تِسْعَةَ وَتِسْعِينَ إِسْمًا مَنْ أَحْصَاهَا دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ كَمَا قَالَ The hadith mentions that verily to Allah belongs 99 lofty, lofty names. Whomever does ihsa, whomever does ihsa of these names enters into paradise. Tayyib. Forget this specific act being a direct ticket to you into Jannah. Let's talk about the, the, the overall script of the hadith. It's encouraging one to do what? To do ihsa of Allah's names and attributes. Right? Ihsa is a comprehensive term. A lot of people translate it and they say, oh, it means to memorize, or it means to write down, or it means to be aware of. Ihsa. In this hadith, it says, do ihsa of these 99 names. Ihsa means to do the following. To understand the names of Allah. To understand the names of Allah. Okay? To actualize them by acting upon them. To actualize them by acting upon them. And I'll explain what that means. And three, believing in them with utmost certainty. So we should start like this. Believing in the names of Allah. Understanding what these names entail from their meaning and their benefits. Three, Actualizing them in your life, meaning applying these names in your life. These are what it means to do ihsa. And I hope everyone who's not writing this down is able to answer this next month. Inshallah ta'ala. This is ihsa. Okay? So this is what it means to do ihsa of Allah's names and attributes. There's nothing necessarily wrong this hadith is telling us to do. Naam, Can you repeat the three? Yes. Number one is doing ihsa of Allah's names entails one, believing in them with certainty. Two, understanding what they mean and what they carry from benefit and virtue. Three, it is to actualize them in your life, meaning to act upon them. Everyone got that? This is what it means to do ihsa. This hadith isn't telling us to do anything wrong. Rather, the Quran itself told us to do it. I brought the ayat first because it's the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no discrepancy in the authenticity of these ayat. And it actually highlights what this message of the hadith that is da'if is telling us. Allah is telling us to call upon him with his lofty names and attributes. Allah told us in other ayat to just simply call upon him. But Allah took the time in other verses to say, call upon him using his names and attributes. So that shows you there's a virtue behind it, yes? You could either just call upon Allah however you were taught. 
But Allah gave you a general command to call upon him and he took the time to specify calling upon him with his names and attributes. If you want to call upon Allah correctly, you must believe in him when you're calling upon him. You must understand the names that you are utilizing to call upon him. And you must be living a lifestyle where you've allowed these names to affect your life directly. If you want the dua to mean something. Allah is telling you to do dua using his names and attributes. We have went over so many times how dua is one of the most beloved worship to Allah Azza wa Yes or no? Agreed? Because it, 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 the dua is from the ibadat that actually put ubudiyah, what we just broke down, on such a high pedestal. It is your ubudiyah just put out to the max. Your ubudiyah at its fullest is when you're begging Allah Azza wa Jalla making dua. You're in need of something. You understand? That's why dua is from the most beloved things to Allah. Because He wants to see the servant acknowledging His completeness, His perfection, His greatness, accompanied with His, the servant's incapabilities, the servant's deficiencies, the, the servant's lack of being able to do whatever it is to attain anything in their lives. This is what Allah wants to see. That dua is recognized by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that dua where Allah is telling you, utilize His names and attributes, there's a hikmah behind it. Because if you utilize his names and attributes in the manner that we just mentioned that described Ihsa, and you call upon Allah Azza wa Jalla in this manner, believing in the names that you use, believing in the names that you use, understanding what these names mean, so you're, you're utilizing with purpose, you're not just regurgitating a hadith, you're not just regurgitating a dua, you know why you're using Ar-Rahman in this dua. You know why you're using Al-Hakim in this dua. You know why you're using Al-Jabbar in this dua. Understand? That dua is so much more beloved to you before Allah. It's so much more beloved to you. You understand? So there's a hikmah behind what Allah commanded us to do, utilizing His names and attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So that is the third, th third thing to acknowledge, that the Qur'an itself, when Allah Azza took the time to tell us to call upon Him, to tell us to reach out to Him, and hasten towards calling upon him, and that he is ready to answer subhanahu wa ta'ala when we just take the means to call upon him, he's telling you to do it specifically with his names and attributes. That's the third thing, right? So this is the third thing that shows us, everyone's counting these, right? This is the third thing that shows us the necessity, rather, in my opinion, the obligation of learning about Allah's names and attributes before anything else in your life. That is the third introductory point that I wanted to mention. The fourth thing I wanted to mention is regarding Allah Azza wa Jalla's names and attributes. Tayyib. When it comes to Allah Azza wa Jalla's names and attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do we believe in them? When we come across Allah's names and attributes, how do we approach them? How do we understand them? How, how do we go ahead and try to extract the meanings and benefits from them? Because end of the day, we're talking about Allah Azza wa Jalla. This is the most sensitive topic, is to talk about Allah Azza wa Jalla and to say that Allah carries this, or Allah possesses this, or Allah is this. You're speaking about your Creator. Just like you would be, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى To Allah belongs the greatest of examples. Just like you would be careful in attributing something to your mother, to your father of claims, to your CEO, to your supervisor, before you say that he carries this, she does this, he is this, he is that, right? Before you do that, you're going to make sure. Because the last thing you want to do is speak about them without any knowledge. To Allah belongs the greatest example. When it comes to our Creator, we got to be careful. How we talk about His names, how we talk about His attributes, how we say that this means this and this is defined in such a way. We got to be careful. Rather, learning about Allah's names and attributes is... The only way your Tawheed can be complete. Now this should open everyone's eyes. Because we're told Tawheed is the first thing that we need to learn. Tawheed is the thing we need to actualize. Tawheed is the da'wah of the Prophet for 13 years. Calling to Tawheed. Nothing else from the ibadat. The first thing he was calling to is Tawheed. Sidq. Sidqan wa jazman. Certainly. Truthfully. This was the da'wah of the Prophet This was the da'wah of the Anbiya and the Mursaleen rather. I'm willing to go to that extent. That their call was Tawheed first. Their call was Tawheed first. Before any legislation came down, it was Tawheed. It was get the people to acknowledge and accept La ilaha illallah, then I will give you halal and haram. 
This was the nahj of all the prophets and the mursaleen. And this is the hikm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the hikm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So now we know that learning about Allah's names and attributes is a necessity for one's tawheed to be complete. Is a necessity, not a recommendation. It's a necessity, ikhwah. So now I'm being told that my tawheed is at fault of being deficient if I don't carry the proper knowledge and understanding of Allah's names and attributes. This is another reason, a fourth reason, yet again, why this, in my opinion, is the first thing that anyone should be learning, is Allah's names and attributes. What I began mentioning in the previous point, that was the fourth point. The fifth and final point is what I began mentioning in the fourth, and that is, how do we understand and approach Allah's names and attributes? Like I said, this is going to be a, a inshallah ta'ala, a series that is mixed between the academic side, where we're taking the time to look at the specific wording of ayat, how specific ahadith are worded, why Allah utilizes this, why Allah uses his name at the end of this verse. We're going to go through things academically because it's going to give us a clear peripheral on these ayat, on these names of Allah Azza and how virtuous they are and the role that they play in our lives. So it's going to be a mixture of the academic side and the spiritual side, how we're supposed to approach these names for our lives to change, for our hearts to soften, for us to incline to ibadah more, for us to put a, a, a sterner barrier between us and, and fawahish and haram more, right? We have to take this approach. So when it comes to Allah's names and attributes, there is a couple of points that you need to keep in mind whenever coming across any, any one of Allah's names or any one of Allah's attributes. And this is mentioned, just so everyone knows now, we'll be, we're utilizing books. What I'm utilizing, I'm utilizing books to go over this topic. This is an immense topic. It's a topic that's discussing Allah's names and attributes. Sitting behind a YouTube class, sitting behind a YouTube playlist, reading an article online is not going to do this topic any justice at all, right? So there's scholarly resources that we go back to in order to make sure that we're giving this topic as justice when we're talking about our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay? Before I go into what we need to keep in mind in order to process Allah's names and attributes, what are the books we are utilizing, Ya Muhammad? The first book we're using, so that if you guys wanted to, especially if you have the ability to go into the Arabic text yourself, it's very good. I doubt any of these are translated, unfortunately. Right? The first of these books is a more classical book. It's called Maqsadu al-Asna fi fiqhi asma'illah al-Husna Sheikh Abu Hamad al-Ghazali, al-Imam al-Alam rahmatullahi alayhi rahmatul wasi'ah The book is called Maqsadu al-Asna Maqsadu al-Asna fi fiqhi asma'illah al-Husna Right? The great, and it gets, uh, it gets very difficult to translate these things into English. Al-Maqsadu Al-Asna, meaning the, the epitome of, or the, the, the peak of importance, the peak of, of goals, and learning about Allah Azza wa Jalla's names and attributes, right? And you find, of course, the English translation is very broken. Rather, my English itself is deficient, so I probably didn't even give it justice. Right? But the Arabic itself is rich, so I have an excuse to hide behind. Right? The title is him saying basically that the greatest goals and the greatest levels are reached through learning about Allah's names and attributes. And this book is very special because Imam Al-Ghazali, he goes into every name, not just by telling you his definition, the ayat, that's every typical book nowadays, these modern day books. Okay, what does this mean? What's the breakdown of this? Let me use it in a sentence. What is the, what, give me an ayah that this name is, no. He goes into the ayah in, in a classical manner, in a manner where he, he uses the, the Arab tongue, the pure Arab tongue, to tell you how rich this name is. Not only does he complete every name by going through this method, but he ends every name by telling you what is your hav, what is, what, is, what is there for you to take away from this name? How does your life change from this name? Which is such a profound, a profound way of going through Allah's names and attributes. Rather, it's the only way to go through Allah's names and attributes. Every name you learn is beyond a definition, is beyond even learning how great He is subhanahu wa ta'ala. But after that, if you learn it properly, there's a takeaway for you. There's something that you need to change in your life to actualize this name. Understand? That is the first book we'll be using. The second book we'll be using is the, one of the books by a Shaykh Al-Allama Ibn Al-Qayyim Al-Jawzi. Ibn Al-Qayyim Al-Jawzi, alayhi wa rahmatullah. 
and is called Al-Qawaid Al-Mustanbatah Fi Asma'illahi Al-Husna Right? The second book is the book of Ibn Qayyim that is called The Extracted Principles from Allah's Names and Attributes Imam, uh, Imam Al-Ghazali's book was a little bit more spiritual He was talking about the spirituality behind these names even though it was very academic but he was talking more about the spirituality that was his goal Ibn Qayyim here he just takes a very academic approach in how we understand Allah's names and attributes and how we refrain from falling into mistakes in interpreting Allah's names and attributes this is the second book we're utilizing. The third book we're going to be utilizing is the book of Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di, who is the teacher of Sheikh al-Alam ibn al-Uthaymeen, alayhima rahmatullah, rahmatan wasi'ah. The Sheikh the, the, the Abdurrahman al-Sa'di, he wrote a book that's called Fath al-Alam al-Rahim. Fath al-Alam al-Rahim. Sheikh Abdul Rahman is a book where he just goes through every name of Allah and brings the ayat and gives you a very a, a very vivid picture an image of how rich these these names of Allah are right and the fourth book that we'll be using is a more modern book that is written by one of our mashayikh Sheikh Abdul Razak ibn Abdul Muhsin al-Badr alayhi hifdillah azza is a book that is called Fiqh Isma'illah al-Husna it's called Fiqh Isma'illah al-Husna by Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr these are the books that we together will be extracting benefits from and going through this series together with insha'Allah ta'ala. Right, where we're going to go through this journey and learning about Allah Azza wa So back to the final point I was mentioning, and that is what are the things we need to keep in mind when coming across Allah's names and attributes. Okay, there are a couple things we need to have in the back of our heads when a name of Allah Azza wa or an attribute of Allah Azza wa arises. Especially a name of Allah or an attribute of Allah Azza wa Jalla, that is, it is possible that the creation could carry the same attribute. If you go through the Quran, you find these attributes. Allah has attributed to Himself names and attributes, right? But those same names and attributes, if you translate them, these are things that even humans can carry. But of course, our natural disposition tells us what? Okay, Allah, whatever Allah attributed to Himself is beyond what we can imagine, is beyond what we can fathom and is perfect, and it befits His Majesty, and is nothing compared to our deficient, incapable selves. Even if there is an attribute or a name of Allah Azza wa Jalla, that we may share, lafzan, that we may share, just from the terminology that is used in the Quran. Right? So four things to keep in mind when you come across Allah's names and attributes. The first thing is, you don't liken Allah's names and attributes to the creation ever. You don't liken Allah or compare Allah Azza wa Jalla to the creation ever. Right? If Allah says He has X and the creation happens to carry X, okay? The reason why I'm not mentioning specific attributes is not to, to not open a debate. Okay? Because we're not doing that here, inshallah ta'ala. Right? If Allah says He carries this specific attribute and it, the humans and creation carry that attribute as well, the first thing that comes to your mind is, Laysa kamithlihi shay. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Shura, Laysa kamithlihi shay. Nothing is comparable to Allah Azza wa Jalla, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first thing. Allah says in Surah Al-Nahl, فَلَا تَضْرِبُوا لِلَّهِ الْأَمْثَالِ And do not dare compare anything to Allah Azza wa Jalla and make examples of Allah Azza wa Jalla with the creation. Allah Azza wa Jalla says in Surah Al-Ikhlas, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ وَتْ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ And there is nothing that is similar, that is even up to, to, to discussion in similarity with Allah Azza wa Jalla. So these ayats are clear-cut that tell us that nothing is to be compared to Allah Azza wa Jalla even if it's a, a, it is a term that is utilized that can be attributed to the deficient creation understand? that is the first thing so if you come across a verse where the creation is possible in carrying that, that quality the first thing you say is Allah attributed to Himself so that means if it belongs to Allah it's perfect it's free from deficiency right? it befits His Majesty it befits His Majesty that I myself have not been even able to fathom His Majesty, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It befits His Majesty, right? And it has nothing to do with the creation. If Allah says He has hands, we open it. If Allah says He has hands, two of them rather, then you say that Allah Azza wa Jalla knew what He was doing when He utilized this word. He's Al-Hakim, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He brings every harf in the Qur'an with a purpose. Not just every ayah, every harf in the Qur'an with a purpose. All He told you in the Qur'an is what? Don't compare Allah to the creation. Whatever Allah is attributed to Himself, you say it belongs to Him in perfection. That befits His Majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala in a complete manner that is beyond our deficient selves. That's the first principle. Number two, you don't ask how. 
So the first is you don't compare Allah's names attributes to the creation. You don't compare Allah's to the creation. The second thing is you do not ask how. You don't ask how. How is it? What does it look like? How did he do this? How did he do that? If Allah didn't relay it to you, the simple conclusion is what? You don't need that piece of information to reach the level of iman that Allah is looking for. You don't need that piece of information. It's a simple answer. If Allah didn't tell Allah told you he rose. Allah says he rose above the creation. And he rose above the heavens. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he rose above his throne. Jalla Rather, someone took that verse. Who knows that verse in Surah Al-Taha? Ar-Rahmanu Al-Arshi Istawa. Someone took this verse at, in Medina. In the time of Imam Malik. Who knows Imam Malik? Ibn Dinar. Who knows Imam Malik? Raise your hand if you know Imam Malik. Imam Dar al-Hijrah. Not uh, false church. <laughs> Not Imam. You thought I was talking about Imam false church? No, no, no. There's no Imam Malik there. Imam Dar al-Hijrah. What is Dar al-Hijrah? The place of migration. What is the place of migration? Medina. Imam Dar al-Hijrah. Imam Malik. Nans. Alayhi rahmatullah. A man came into his gathering while he was sitting in Masjid al-Nabawi. And he brought this verse in Surah Taha. And he said, Ya Imam, Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. Allah says the exalted, the most merciful has rose above the throne. So he said to Imam Malik, Imam Malik was the alim of that time. Every question is brought to him. He was like, Ya Imam, kayf istawa. How did he rise? Allah says he rose. He understood that Allah rose. But he wanted to go deeper into the surface. How did he rise? So, Imam Malik has been brought a question that's been unheard of. No companion, and they were the most intellectual, the most keen individuals that asked questions about everything that didn't make sense. They didn't ask this question or anything that had to do with Allah's names and attributes. They never asked how. Which helped, what helped them in this affair is that they were pure Arabs. They were the purest of Arab. So whatever came down, they had a, a general grasp of what it meant. But there were ayat that came down that they asked the Prophet what does this mean? They, could, they couldn't tie their finger around it. They were humans. But they never asked how when it came to Allah's names and attributes. So Imam Malik got very mad. This goes back to the second thing I told you guys, don't ask how if it's not mentioned. Imam Malik got very mad. And he gave a comprehensive answer that is used today from every group of Ahl Sunnah. Every group of Ahl Sunnah and they clash with one another. The different, the, 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 yani the disputes between Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah, right? They all clash with one another and they have these debates about Allah's name is this, Allah's attribute is this. All of them claim this call of Imam Malik. All of them claim it. And they add a little something something to us so they can go ahead and claim it and say that this is our, his, his, his statement, yani, it's, it provides yani, evidence for our belief, our way of understanding, right? Imam Malik responded and he said, What? He answered in four very, very comprehensive points to this question. He said, The meaning of the word that Allah utilizes, no. It came down in Arabic. It came down to the purest of Arab. We're in Medina amongst the Arabs and people who saw the Prophet ﷺ. What istiwa means is no. There's no dispute here. So we know what Allah intended when He said istiwa. Number one. In another riwayah. And how He did so is unfathomable. That's in one riwayah. In another riwayah. And how He did so is unknown. Simply. It's simply unknown because He didn't tell us subhanahu wa ta'ala. And like I told you, if we needed to know, he would have told us. Right? When Iman bihi wajib. But believing in the fact that he rose is obligatory. You must. Because it's ayah in the Quran. Ayat in the Quran. It's a wajib. And asking about it is what? Bidah. Innovation. Because the companions never did it. And they were the people that they were the most keen for paradise. They didn't not once did it enter their mind. So we're not asking how. Especially if it has not been related to us. You believe in the names and the attributes, how they came. You simply do not compare it to the creation. And two, you don't ask how. Because asking how is going to unravel unnecessary what ifs 
And it may cause you to make a mistake in speaking about Allah's names and attributes. So if how isn't there, you stay quiet. We just talked about how delicate this topic is. Talk about your creator. You wouldn't dare someone speak about your mom in an ill manner, huh? You wouldn't dare someone, even if someone just spoke about your mom in an incorrect manner, not necessarily offending her, but incorrectly, saying that she is what she is not. That would upset you. Who, what gave you audacity to speak about my mom? And say this about my mom like as if you live with her. Yes or no? Your ghira with Allah needs to be greater. So this is why we stay away from how? Because we have ghira. And we're scared to speak about Allah what we don't know. So know how. Okay? We'll stop with these two. Because the next two I'll mention, my beloved brothers in the masajid, that are to my left and to my right. I won't name their names, but I don't want to have a dispute after the salah. Or after the class, inshallah ta'ala. Right? So we'll keep it as general as possible. Everything I've said thus far, they'll agree with me. Inshallah. Everything I said thus far. Next week, so that no one says that I'm not portraying the aqidah of the sunnah when I'm sitting here. His manhaj is not clear. Next week, that's the first thing we're going to be discussing. Inshallah ta'ala. So we'll continue these points that is necessary in understanding and maneuvering and, and, and navigating with Allah's names and attributes. Everything we mentioned are introductory points. Things that show us the necessity of Allah's names and attributes. And the final things I've been mentioning are th how to navigate with Allah's names. Especially when I stumble or someone throws a doubt in my mind about one of his names. These people out here who try to debunk Islam by using one of Allah's, uh, one of Allah's ayat that talk about his names and attributes. And they try to bring philosophy and kalam into it with an agenda that is opposed to Islam. So you got to be able to know how to navigate with them generally speaking. We're not here to become ulama. We're trying to become ibad. People who have ubudiyah. People who are, 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 have softer hearts. People who have hearts that are willingly trying to incline towards Allah That's what we're doing here. Not to open debates. Not to talk about who's Ahl Sunnah, who's not. Because I know this topic does that. And unfortunately, when this topic is spoken about in different environments and in different areas, it's nothing but a refutation bash. That's all it is. And we fail to leave the 95% benefit of these names and attributes. We're supposed to soften the heart. It was a whole teaching method of Allah Azza wa Jalla and to rectify a whole people. These are the people that migrated. These ayat that came down on them were just Al Ghafur Al Rahim, Al Aziz Al Hakim, Wakan Allah Samir and Basira, Wakan Allah Ala Kulishain Qadira. These ayat that were coming down the Makkiya. It took a people from Shirk. It took a people from Shirk and burying their daughters and committing immoral acts. And it gave them the strength to leave their parents, to leave their, to leave their businesses, to leave their wealth, to leave their children, and go migrate and start a new life with the Prophet That's strength. That's what this did. It didn't open arguments and debates and speakers corner this nonsense. I'm not saying it as a joke. That's sad. That's, that's all people know about Islam. All people know about Islam is debaters. All people know about Islam is debating points. And they just started praying Fajr 10 minutes ago. This is all people know. Wallah, I'm not joking. Wallah, I'm not joking. So before anyone tries to maneuver this series, into one of these, one, don't do it to yourself. Two, that is not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing here. We're here to get to know Allah. And we're here to improve our relationship with Him. And we want to reach a point where we're His specific servants. We're His awliya. We're the people who have learned so much about Him. And it's changed so much of our lives that we are suffice with Him truly. And that he has made it upon himself to be our guardians. This is the way to that. You want to be from the awliya? You want to be from the righteous? This is the, the, the fastest route to that. Wallahi al -adhi. The fastest route is through this. Inshallah ta'ala. So we'll pick up ta'ala. We'll go over some more introductory points in the next class. Inshallah ta'ala will be in a month. Beginning of January, inshallah ta'ala. And then we'll begin with the first name of Allah Azza wa Jalla, which, which is Ismullah al-A'zam. It is the name itself, Allah. ta'ala. So this will be doing monthly, ikhwah. Inshallah ta'ala, forgive me for prolonging, right? This is a very, uh, it's a very heavy topic. And there's a lot to unpack at times. And doing, uh, trying to do it justice and simplifying things. And it, it, that, it may seem easy to go ahead and simplify things, but it's actually very difficult. It's actually very difficult. Because this is like we said, we're talking about Allah Azza wa Jalla Jalla Jalla. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to forgive us and pardon us for coming short and discussing about him because verily we have came short in speaking about him 
We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq in learning about Him. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq in having hearts that become levitated towards Him. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq in our ibadat. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq in our households. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq with our offspring. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us tawfiq with our friends and families and our communities. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to increase us in this dunya and to elevate us in the hereafter. Ya Adhan Jalali wa Nikram. Pastry, inshallah, there are pastries outside. I'm guessing for sale, صح? Yes. But all the proceeds go to Al Ikhwa fi Palestine. So Allah Azza wa Jalla yansur ikhwanana al Mustadafina fi Palestine. Allahumma sur ikhwanana fi Palestine. Allahumma sur ikhwanana fi Gaza. Allahumma alif bayna kulubihim. Allahumma sadid ramiahum. Allahumma sadid ramiahum. Allahumma wahid sufufahum. Allahumma jma' kalimatahum yada al Jalali wa al Ikram. Allahumma harri al Masjid al Aqsa ila diyar al Muslimin. Allahumma tahiri al Masjid al Aqsa min al Yahud al Ghasibin. Allahumma alayka bi adai al Millati. Zahirin abatinin yada al Jalali wa al Ikram. Allahumma alayka bi al Yahud al Zalama. Allahumma khudhum akhda aziz al Muqtadir. Allahumma alina fihim ayati jabrutik yada al Jalali wa al Ikram. Allahumma alina fihim ayati quwatik yada al Jalali. والإكرام. اللهم لا تؤاخذنا بذنوبنا ولا تؤاخذنا بتقصيرنا وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين جزاكم الله خير